This is episode number six with ex-NFL player and founder of the Adaptive Training Foundation, David Vibora. Welcome to American Snippets, your source for inspirational, motivational, and selfless stories and interviews from exceptional people across the nation. And now, here's your host, Barb Allen and Dave Brown. Hi, this is Dave Brown, once again, lifestyle entrepreneur, real estate investor, and co-founder of American Snippets. Our goal each week is to bring you an inspiring story or exceptional person who is living, defending, or promoting the American dream. Each week, we spotlight individuals who are giving back both in business and in life, and today's guest is no exception. David Vibora took a beating on the field and off, but he fought back every single time. When he was drafted in the NFL, he was labeled Mr. Irrelevant, and he attacked this title by becoming a star in his own right on the football field. He then attacked his addiction to pain meds, healing both from that and the severe injuries he sustained during his career. But then he found and got started in his true path, helping civilians and combat veterans become battle buddies in their own mission to overcome their personal injuries. Again, you may have seen him on The Ellen Show, but right now, you can catch him right here on American Snippets. So without further ado, here's Barb Allen and David Vibora. Hi, I'm Barb Allen with American Snippets. I'm here today with David Vibora. David's here with us today to talk about his work and his story, which we are featuring on American Snippets. Dave, thanks so much for being here today. I know you are insanely busy, and I appreciate you taking the time out to, to speak with us. I'm excited. I like this platform a lot, and I, I love that you're the one driving it. It's your story, and I think that, uh, you know, this is just, this is the organic, my belief, this is the organic kind of a channel or platform that you never know who's going to hear it, yeah. and ultimately the impact it's going to make. And so it's, it's so, it's altruistic. I love that. Awesome. I love, I love that you love it. Um, so, you know, we'll go through the beginning of your story quickly before I move into an area. I don't think so many other people have, um, touched upon, which I'm really excited to speak about with you, but, uh, people may know your name most of all from football, maybe your NFL career, but you are quickly becoming just as well known in another community of people, uh, combat veterans, their families, as well as people uh, you know, civilians um, who may not have served, but who have also experienced some sort of catastrophic injury or trauma in their lives. This is a huge community, which you don't really realize unless you are pulled into it. Um, and you are now into it and you are in this community, which I would almost say maybe as big as or bigger than those who love the NFL. How about you tell us a little bit about your story and what you're doing today. Yeah, you know, I'll say it this way. Um, people don't think about this, but anyone can become a part of the adaptive right. demographic in an instant, right? Yeah, yeah. some go to wars, you know, some are traumatic injuries from car accidents and whatnot, but you just never know. A tree could fall, anything could happen. A disease that riddles you, unable to use your body in the way that you have prior. And I'd say this, I mean, my football career ultimately gave way and gave an opportunity to do what I'm doing now, which is 100% my most fulfilling work. Uh, it feeds my soul. And yes, I would agree that, you know, the veteran uh, 
you know, support that group, the size of that. Yes, it's way larger than the NFL and as it should be, because, um, you know, these are the people that they literally go into hell uh, to go and protect our soil back home so we can just continue to enjoy the, re- the, the freedoms that we readily take for granted. So for me as an NFL player, you know, I remember being in the league uh, and playing for the St. Louis Rams and we were at Scott's Air Force Base in Missouri. Um, excuse me, Illinois. Illinois side, I always think Missouri when I say St. Louis. That's but <laughs> we were at a camp doing a kids camp for kids and, and, and one of the wives came up to me and and she said, thank you so much. And her husband, who had just gotten back from deployment, said, thank you so much. I'm like, why are you, why are you thanking me, right? I put on a helmet and run down the field, right? It's not, you're the ones doing the real job. That's the real battle. And uh, it really took me back because the, the uh, soldier said to me, when we're on deployment for those three months, six months, eight months, whatever it is, and your game is on TV, we're home. Like, oh. When we get to watch that, we share. And I was just like, ah, oh, I couldn't even... It was so hard to put into words. And so, yeah, yeah, you know, being drafted the last pick in 2008, Mr. Irrelevant, uh, (laughs) you know, which is given to the last pick as a title. And there's this huge week in Disneyland and parades and things out in California. But it's fascinating because I use that as a platform instantly to go and talk like schools. I'd say, how many of you guys have ever been the last pick? Uh, Hands. Oh, that would be me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Everyone's been the last pick at something. And so I tell the story of, look, let me tell you why that didn't stop me. And, fr- and frankly, I've always sort of been that underdog. So I think I have a, a natural inclination to go to the person who sees themselves as, as less than or maybe broken and uh, you know, build into them to, to let them know that it is in them and that they can and they can achieve. And so ultimately, I transitioned really from the, from the Rams to the Seahawks. Um, NFL was my life. It was my identity. And, and as I got done, I, I, was, I, was, I didn't know who I was without the game. Right. And it led to a, a really bad coping of pain pill addiction. I was just, you know, willing to stuff my throat rather than deal with what's next. And like so many of these these warriors that come home, I mean, you know, again, not only do the fact that they may have lost limbs or have significant injuries, but they can geographically come home. But are they really home? And right. you know, my belief is like you can give a veteran a job. You can give them a house. These are good things. But if you don't give them an identity, right, even though their physicality may look different, my belief is you can't create something sustainable for them. And in my experience, if you treat a veteran broken, they act broken. You know, if you look them in their eyes and you tell them, hey, look, the same skill set that made you extraordinary in country make you extraordinary here, they come to life. And so that's what my foundation's built on. I'm sorry, that was a very long-winded answer, but I am very very passionate about this and and really believing, I I rarely introduce myself as former NFL player. I mean, to me, it's like six down the list. There's a time and a place for it, but ultimately, uh, I want people to know that I found my why as a result, and it feeds my soul to give these veterans and civilians over 10 million Americans with a physical disability in this country. It gives me such joy to give them away, be the conduit to hopefully get them to realize that they can achieve probably more than they ever thought they could if they're willing to step into their fear and their uncertainty. Yeah. And now if somebody had said to you, um, you know, eight years ago, you know, hey, NFL, that's only this much of your story. Would you have believed them? You would have. <laughs> the day that I tried, the day that I decided to yeah. retire, I got a call to return to the league. Right. And it was it was really fascinating because just something had shifted. I mean, I thought they were going to scrape me off of the football field when I was dead. Right. Like, you don't yeah. you can't really be one foot in, one foot out thinking about what's next. I mean, a guy like me, I had to be all in and not think of any other contingencies or backup plans. So to your point, yes, I, I did not expect um, yeah. eh, 
it to be as tight of a window as it was and then for it to kind of spiral out of control. And then ultimately for me to use that brokenness, really the pain, I would consider like one of my lowest bottoms uh, to be the exact thing that is my power to equip and empower and deal hope to people that, you know, may have felt helpless or hopeless. But that is the prevailing theme in the people that it is so cool for me to get to do this because I get to meet people like you who are doing this. Um, something that you kind of take for granted, but we all know people who have been made to feel irrelevant. Like you said, I felt irrelevant all the time. Um, And we all know people who have gone through something that has to them been their biggest struggle. Like for me, I lost my husband that stripped my entire identity away that my whole life was wound up in him um, as well as the other military widows. I know, and other people have lost respect when you're so invested in someone or something that becomes your identity. So I can relate to that when your identity is gone. Everything that you've been living on, you have banked your life on, you're moving forward at this pace. This is what you're going to be. And all of a sudden, bam, that's just gone. It is not easy to pick that up and, and find a new reason, a new path. And so getting to speak to people like you who do that, but you don't even just do that. You help other people do that. And you can relate to them on such a level. um, Right. What you just described, I could never imagine. Right. Like losing a spouse and having kids and everything you've gone through. I mean, like to say you're a Spartan woman is an understatement. I mean, to me, <laughs> the, the, first of all, to be a, a, a mom in general is is to be a warrior. Uh, <laughs> That's I, got true. Little girls. I got two little girls and like four and two right now. And, and <laughs> but they're just, so cute. They are. They're adorable. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I have a lot of guns here yeah. in Texas. <laughs> but, but I guess the bigger piece here is this. Like it's relative. And I'm not saying anything is bigger or, or less than, right. than someone else's. But when you take a group of people that visually capture you in a way that they're missing limbs and, mm-hmm. and, and they're impaired and you watch them do something that kind of just says, hey, impossible is an opinion. Um, you know, it's my belief that that group has gulped pain at a level that we could never fathom, physical right. pain. Right. They no longer suffer because there's been a paradigm shift for them, right? Yeah. And the paradigm shift is, is in realizing that, that like you right now, what you're doing, is is being a funnel or a springboard, right? To to say, look, I'm not saying it wasn't hard. Right. You know, it, we can have hard days. We don't have bad days, and it, and it's about the framework to realize that all the while your scars they remind you of of where you were been, yeah. where you where you've been, what tried to hurt you, and ultimately it gives you the opportunity to, you know, defy what once tried to define you. And when you do that, you'd be amazed at this. And this is what I'm really passionate about, what my book will be centered on, and really what I go out and I speak on it. And it's this. It's basically telling you, how do we take uh, your fear of inadequacy? You said said everyone's kind of felt irrelevant at some point. Yes. I think it's human nature to, at some level, buy into the whisper in your head that, you know, uh, what if they find out you're a fraud, an imposter syndrome? You know, what, what if you're not capable? What if they don't love you? And so if you live long enough in the space where you just kind of start to just tune that out, right? All of a sudden you're like, hands up, hands open, eyes open, and, and stuff's falling in your lap because you realize that the gifts of this world, the things that you were given, gifts, good or bad, is, is, is a part of your story. And when you use it to leverage someone that's suffering or dealing with something in their story, man, boom, instantly, your paradigm shifts too. You know, you might not be the answer to your prayer today, God might not give it to you. But if you can be the answer to someone else's prayer, you might just be surprised what will happen as you go around the corner, what God has in store. It trickles down. So here's one thing. And um, 
we'll, we'll talk about your program here if you know when, yeah. when time uh, doesn't run out but i want to talk about something because uh, we all know you know a lot more about your program than about some of the consequences i think um i, I think there is almost an unattended achievement of your program which is bringing civilians and veterans together and this is one of the things i find so fascinating about you because one of the Great. I mean, physical challenges, emotional challenges, all of that to our combat veterans getting back into society. They're all there. But one of the few that not many people address, and especially not in the way that you do, is putting civilians and veterans together where they are now battling through the same battle. So there are perceptions and misperceptions on both sides of what combat veterans are and what civilians are. Combat veterans maybe think civilians don't care, they have no idea, and maybe civilians think combat veterans are all a bunch of crazy lunatics, um, over-entitled, whatever. And so now you put them together where they are struggling together. And that is something I think that if every community could find some forum to do, we would drastically reduce. Do you see conversations between the one, you know, the civilians and the veterans in your group? Do you see those conversations evolving over time? Do you see, you know, dynamics change? How does that work? Well, misery loves company. Yeah. And so when you, when you start to sweat together and you start to suffer in the, in the constructs of the gym, with it, which is pain for purpose, right? Uh, one, you begin to kind of go, oh, I guess civilians can put out. Or maybe this veteran actually has a little heart and compassion. And he's not just about, you know, rah-rah and you know, blowing right. stuff up. So, so, again, veteran, civilian. The veteran learns that they're not far from reintegrating as a result of being around, reintegrating into society as, as a fact of being around the civilian. And the civilian sees what teamwork, grit, and this sort of no quit attitude once we get it pulled out. Now, again, I use the word word warrior sort of agnostically, right? Like I don't care about a veteran, civilian, yeah, yeah. about race, gender, sexual preference, yeah. age, how you were hurt. Because again, if anyone could be part of this demographic, you know, the bigger need here is is for us to prove that we're human. And if we can be humane to humanity, it's not so much about, hey, what are you against? It's about, hey, let me tell you what I'm for. You tell me what you're for. I bet you there's overlap that we might not have expected, even if we're on extremes politically, even if we're on extremes uh, vocationally. Um, that then can start the conversation. And with a specific instance, I can tell you there's so many times where I find great joy to see a civilian and a veteran exchanging numbers. Yeah, uh, that's right? what I was going to ask you. Yeah, that's and, and hanging out and then learning yeah. about the other. And, and there's there's just there's just so much synergy. It's very cool. That is great. And really, out of all the organizations that I've had a chance to be a part of or to speak to, I have not found an, anyone else who does this particular aspect. And I know that's not your primary goal, but it is absolutely a noteworthy achievement for what you're you doing. Want know, you want to know how I found it or how I how I, how I did this? It's funny. Yeah. I, take, I won't take much credit. I, I'm not that smart. I, I When I had the idea to start the nonprofit, right. uh, I didn't. I guess I didn't land that plane. Essentially, I'll give you the cliff notes. Okay. Retired from the league, uh, was surfing every day. My wife, God bless her, was like, "Hey, I know you think you're going to be a pro surfer now, but <laughs> I think we can actually do something for some money for our family." I was like, "Okay." So we moved to Dallas, started the gym. The gym was always a sanctuary to me because you know I could define my work ethic to go and achieve what I wanted. Um, and about six, eight months in, I met Staff Sergeant Travis Mills, quadruple right. amputee. I'd encourage anybody to go read Tough As They Come, his book. His Hollywood movie rights just got purchased by Sylvester Stallone. Him and I are going on Ellen's show on April 4th uh, together, which is going to be amazing. Awesome. So I, 
I, I walk up to this quadruple amputee who's on prosthetics and I, I said, man, when was the last time he worked out? Right. And he's like, dude, I got to have arms and legs. <laughs> and so I challenged him. He came and worked out. You know, my NFL players are training in the background and I watched Travis come to life as a result of targeting his fears, which was initially falling, um, which was overcoming that first step. So he'd be empowered. Yeah. And we target that as, a, as, as sort of a very key factor, right? It's sweat psychology. We're looking for the pressure points so that we can then uh, take leaps and bounds as a force multiplier for the growth. And a nine-week training course, you have to really dig into those to kind of, and it's painful to, yeah. to, to pull that stuff out. So I did about six months where I was training veterans and civilians for free, 30 hours a week. And my wife said, look, we got to make this responsible. Let's start a nonprofit. And uh, uh, avoiding counsel. God bless the woman. Funny is that I actually said, people told me, counsel me, don't do it. You know, find an affiliate and you can run it through that. And it's a lot of work and classic DV. I just kind of jumped in the pool and learned how to swim. And so I, I did that and I started Adaptive Training Foundation. And through that, I, I realized, man, okay, I have a way to create resources, but I, I it's still dependent on me. So what happens if David gets hit by a bus? Um, it stops. So what I did was I crafted this nine week program. And ultimately, it was restore, recalibrate, redeploy. And we make them commit to a level of competition outside of our walls after they graduate. Okay. Come back as alumni. They train others like them. Our growth and sustainability is built around a national certification that will be rolling out. Eventually oh, wow. So, you know, I met with Obama about changing policy. Because there's 10 million Americans in this country with a physical disability. So, you know, as we work with these large corporate entities, our goal is to train trainers the same way there's a handicapped parking spot outside of a large corporate gym. Right? We expect there to be a mandate on a certified adaptive trainer for people with disabilities inside. Because the, the members of the gym that are able-bodied, suddenly they get a shift in perspective. Excuse me. Okay. To put that uh, cell phone on on uh, airplane mode. Uh, <laughs> so it, there's a really big comprehensive sort of big picture at, at hand here. And my belief is that you know just like someone that goes through chemical addictions to become a chemical addiction counselor, they can empathize with the group. They know what they want to step forward in to, to make a lifestyle out of. I want my, my veterans, my civilians to be able to, you know, provision for themselves and their families through this craft. So one further than that is imagine you rolling into a Gold's Gym in New York and one of our double amputees says, I'm your trainer today. Yeah, You're like, I, maybe my, my pinky toe doesn't hurt. You know, so the two champion each other. And here's how I found the veteran civilian divide and I, I made this happen and really it was found because I'm so sorry, the stinking cell phone. Uh, so, so, so what we did, let me just tell him to stop calling. Uh, <laughs> this is live y'all. This is live. This is real world. Cell phone. I want to throw this thing out. Tell him, the tell him he's on my time now. <laughs> yeah, I know it's Barbara. Barbara's calling. We should just three way him in. Yeah. Um, all right. Airplane mode. That fixes that. So, the in the initial when the people were telling me, hey, you should just you should not start a nonprofit. The next word was you should make this just about veterans because veterans will get you your most fun. And I sat back and I thought, you know, the Vanessa Cantus, these civilians that I I trained to have these breakthroughs and you know these moments where yeah. allergies up, and and these breakthroughs are so significant because I think the veteran was there. And I'm like, man, I, I will not allow this to be just about one group because I think it's bigger than that. I love that. So, that's the reason that I think we've done it and we've done it this way. It's sort of my being like, no, I, even though the veterans are easier to get funded, that's fine. Some of their funding, we can help to fund these civilians. 
Right. But, and it works both ways too, because there is a huge civilian community, like you said, um, you know, cancer patients who have lost or accident trauma, and there's all different organizations for that. And I just think, um, I mean, that to me is one of my favorite things that you do is bridge that bridge that divide. So I hope uh, more attention is paid to that later on, because that, that is a, a sustainable thing for the entire community, not just the veteran, you know? So, so, I mean, hats off to you. Now, some of your athletes, I'll call athletes, um, they're going on to do big things. They're going in paramilitary, I mean, not paramilitary. And that was another interview. They're going in Paralympics um, and, and events yeah. like that. Again, so there's, we want just sort of like we discussed with the relativity of whatever you're facing, you know, <laughs> we want to talk about the relativity of whatever you put on the wall that you want to achieve. And what I tell our athletes is, look, you just come to work and max effort every day, right? It's about equal sacrifice, right? Not necessarily equal contribution. And it's interesting. You'll hear us refer to Adaptive Training Foundation as the tribe. And to me, I define tribe differently than a team, right? A team is a roster. It's an organizational chart, right? And it's roles and responsibilities. But a tribe recognizes that the perceivably weakest person or most impaired person is an integral part to the sum of its whole. And that is empowerment, right? That's when you get, you know, a a large why cast, but then they show up because their why is synonymous with what that represents and they can tell their story, share their story, live their story out as them, right? And so as you do that, my belief is, you know, you begin to create this ripple and people are touched in different ways and you you don't even know how it's going to morph and what it's going to form into. Um, and, And that's the piece that I like to try to make sure that they, set goals in competition. So one guy may be the Paralympics. One guy, we had one of our, uh, he's a blind, deaf amputee who finished a full Ironman in under 12 hours. That is unbelievable. <laughs> that is... I mean, there's no chance. Even if I train, I, I wouldn't be able to. Nope. I mean, I say it this way, if I trained long enough, but I would, there, I would not be able to be disciplined enough to do what he did. And, you know, that's something for him. Another guy, you know, one of our more, I guess, impaired uh, athletes, a quadriplegic, very little dexterity. Um, his goal was to be able to push up his wheelchair ramp by himself. And he can do that now. He can awesome. take public transit now. So, you know, he'll do a two-hour bathroom regimen, eating regimen, get on public transit. Two hours later, he gets to the gym, does his thing for 90 minutes, and then does it all over. And, like, I mean, that's commitment. That so is, yep. the next time you feel like you don't have time, right, or, you know, whatever, it's, it's about what is your priority, what's the story you're trying to write. And we want to encourage them. You know, the class that we're finishing up uh, Friday is 15 veterans. Uh, this time, it's actually all veterans because it's part of a specific class we call Military of the Mountains. And okay. we're taking these 15 out to Tahoe to ski, the adaptive ski for five days. That's cool. Um, and it's cool, you know, they've, they haven't, a lot of them haven't felt the adrenaline rush really tapping into that. And we train them so hard that it's not just to go and be passive and recreational and enjoy. I mean, we want them to dig in. We want them to push it. It needs to almost, you know, get them a little bit of fear because if not, we're not really giving them the opportunity to thrive and take something home that is sustainable rather than just a cool experience. So competition is super critical. Oh, that is a valid point. Well, um, I hope you understand when I say this, but I'm glad you got hurt and I'm glad. <laughs> My wife is too, to be real with you, man. All these stars up here, she's like, 
He's like, dude, I'll take those over, you know, all the other stuff. The oh, yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. I know. That's another very real thing. Um, yeah. So I am so, um, so happy that I get to talk to you, that I get to be part of sharing your story. Um, and I can't wait to see everything that I'm totally watching you on Ellen. Can't wait to see that. Uh, my dance moves ready for my Ellen show. Get them ready. Get them ready. And I hope you get your muscles ready. I hope she gives you a big, heavy check, too. Uh, that'd be awesome. I mean, you know, just the support, the platforms like that. I mean, the story for our guys, we always tell them, look, a camera can be clicked off like that. Right. right? This is not about, but realize similar to a pro athlete, you guys have a platform to inspire people on your courageous journey. And that doesn't mean you have to, you're not responsible, responsible for that, nope. but you're responsible too. We just had a talk with our athletes a couple of nights ago and I sat them down in a private meeting and I said, you know, a lot of us, I think, use comedy or we concede something socially because someone feels awkward and we need to, you know, we need to say to them, ha ha, make them laugh so that we break the ice. Right. And I said, look, it, 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 there may be a time for that, but that's not your responsibility. You know, it, what I want them to realize is that they can roll into a room, walk into a room, crawl into a room, I don't care, and let others adjust to who they are. You know, they don't have to be the veteran that copes by being like brash or being comedic. They can be them, right? Be a, you know, there you are person when they walk in a room, not a here I am person, but a there you are person that, that makes sure that you are standing in your truth. And the sooner we do that, I believe, is the sooner we can break the cycle of, of addiction, of obesity, of, you know, PTS, and, and really give them a platform to have community and grow. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. I can't wait to see everything that that grows because of it. And um, I'm excited to maybe link you up with David Lionheart here. Um, yes. He is doing, you know, on a smaller scale, but he's launching out. So thank you for even taking the time to work with him. Um, well, we realize like maybe we can't necessarily physically impact everyone, but we're going to be the unit that sort of propels all these other stories. We want to start our own nonprofit so we can fund these stories that we do so that instead of just interviewing, we can say, Oh, by the way, by the way, you know, here's a check, you know, when we do, so we're going to, and I appreciate you being a part of it and taking the time and, and all that. It means a lot. You're, you're a good egg, David Vibora. <laughs> I appreciate that so much. And I promise, you know, I, I'm an ordinary dude who just happened to find a passion and uh, a way to, you know, to make sure that I can create sustainability in a model that leaves a legacy. And uh, I yeah. believe that everyone has the tools to do that. And, you know, frankly, go to adaptivetrainingfoundation.org, you know, follow me on the social media stuff and, and see it just through the lens of the world that we live. I mean, I promise you, this isn't self-promotion. This is for you to see what the people are doing inside of those walls and, Get a little dose of daily motivation and inspiration because they are awesome. They are. Thank you very much. We will absolutely direct people towards your site, towards your Facebook page. Show them how they can support you and all that you're doing. Thank you so much, Barbara. Thank you. Yeah. You have a good day. See you. <laughs> Bye. All right. So there you have it. That wraps up today's episode number six with David Vibora. I have a few more things before I let you go. Be sure to check out our featured article on David Vibora and the Adaptive Training Foundation. This is a story that needs to be heard and shared. So please help us by liking, commenting, and sharing it all over social media. Again, you can see the full article and video on David Vibora at americansnippets.com forward slash 006. Again, please help us get this story out there on social media and be sure to follow David Vibora on Instagram at David Vibora. 
You can also show your support online by visiting the adaptivetrainingfoundation.org. That's adaptivetrainingfoundation.org. Again, their mission is to empower the human athlete, restore hope through movement, and redefine the limits of individuals with disabilities. I mean, <laughs> really amazing stuff. So one more thing, real estate investing is one of the fastest and most lucrative ways to generate cash flow. doesn't matter whether you're, you, you're new or experienced, uh, but the key is having the right blueprint to follow. And that's where real estate worldwide comes in. The founder and CEO, Kent Clothier, is a very good friend of mine. He's been a mentor and played a real big role in my success as an entrepreneur and a real estate investor. And I'm 1,000% certain he can have a big impact uh, on yours as well. So if you ever wanted to make money in real estate, Real Estate Worldwide is the place to get started. You can sign up for a, a free training webinar over at americansnippets.com forward slash R-E-W-W. Again, thanks for joining us on this episode. If you enjoyed it and got value from it, please let us know by submitting a review of our podcast. Maybe we'll feature your review in our review of the week and give you a shout out on next week's, uh, next week's episode. So again, thanks again for being here today. This is American Snippets. We are living, defending, and promoting the American dream. Now get out there and show the world how exceptional you truly are. See you next time. Thanks again. 